know, before I get started my sermon, I just want to pause and take a moment and just say that I hope as your pastor, I hope that you have a Merry Christmas. I hope that it's a time filled with celebration and with joy and with hope. And from there, I'm going to end all my niceness because we're going to get into some pretty divisive topics here. Um, One of my favorite things to do is to heighten the divisiveness of Christmas. So I want to do a little poll as we're here and have you raise your hand for this and for that. If you agree with this, raise your hand. If you agree with that, raise your hand. So the first question I have for you today is, is how many of you like Elf on the Shelf? You think it's great? You think it's awesome? Raise your hand. Only a few of us. That's good. How many of you think it's incredibly creepy? Okay, okay, we got some passionate people. I like it. How many for you, you love Christmas music? Raise your hand. Boo. Okay, okay. How many of you, you can't stand Christmas music? Thank you. I am so glad that there are 10 of you here that I agree with. I cannot listen to KCIS during the month of December. Here's my thing. Here's my thing. Mary knew, okay? We sing that song, Mary, did you know? She knew. The angel told her. All right. Number three, here's my other question. How many for you... The Christmas tree has to be real. Raise your hand. Has to be real. Oh, not as many as I thought. How, how many of you have a fake tree? And that's okay. Good, good. Myself included. Now, here's my last question. How many of you are beyond excited to spend Christmas Eve with your in-laws? Raise your hand. How many of you, that's the last thing that you want? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't get yourself in trouble on the way home. Every time my in-laws are in church, they're here today. I have to throw in an in-law joke just to make them happy and to know how much I appreciate and love them. (laughs) I do, I do. Now, Christmas is great. I want to go back to the tree for a moment. The tree is a very divisive topic. Not only do some of us need real trees and some of us were okay with fake trees, but 58 million people, it's estimated this year, got hurt putting up their tree. Isn't that fascinating? Now, I know if you have a real tree, you got to haul it in, all that kind of stuff. That takes work. And for us, we have a fake one, so i got to get off the top shelf of the garage. So you can hurt yourself there, but 58 million people, that's a staggering number. But even in the midst of all that pain, I think setting up the Christmas tree is one of the most worth-it traditions that we have in our family. I'm not a, a Christmas decoration kind of guy, or even gifts for that matter. But one of my favorite things that we do every single year is we set up the tree as a family. So I have a picture uh, from just a few years ago of my daughter Izzy and I setting up the tree. Now what's funny is we have a nine-month-old daughter. She's sitting right over there. And I was texting Maddie the other day as I was putting the sermon together. And I said, hey, can you send me a picture of when we put up the tree this year? And she's like, actually, we didn't take any. And if that isn't second child syndrome, I don't know what is. We didn't even take a picture of my second daughter putting up the tree with us. But it's one of my favorite things that we do every single year. And there's a lot of controversy surrounding how the Christmas tree actually originated. A lot of people will will tell you, maybe not a lot, but there's enough people that will tell you that we shouldn't even have Christmas trees because deep in the Middle East, thousands of years ago, they worshipped Asherah poles. And then the Christians tried to take back the culture. And so really... Christmas trees are sort of pagan. We shouldn't have them in our homes. And there's not a lot of good sources to back that up. So if that's where you're at, I would just say reconsider where where you're at. But there's a lot of people that say, well, Christmas trees originated in Germany in the 1500s and 1600s, maybe even by Martin Luther, the great reformer. And that might be true. But here's my favorite origin story for the Christmas tree. And it comes from my own people, the Scandinavians. The Scandinavian people used to cut down an evergreen tree every year on the winter solstice, December 21st, the shortest day of the year. And they would cut down the evergreen tree because the evergreen tree is the only plant and the only tree that lives through the entire winter. 
So if you're from Scandinavia, it's a lot like Minnesota. It's Norway, it's Sweden, it's Finland. And what do we know about those places? It's beautiful in the summer, like Minnesota, but it is terribly, terribly cold in the winter. It's a frozen tundra. So nothing lives except the evergreen tree. And so what the Scandinavians did is they would chop it down, they would put it in their living rooms in the center of their home, and it would be this symbol of life and of hope. You know, as we experience the long and dreadful winters here in Minnesota, they experience the same exact thing. Not only does nothing live as far as the plants go, but it's dark, it's dreary, and it's freezing. And so they had this moment of hope where they could take this evergreen tree and they could put it in the middle of their living room, and it was the symbol that spring would eventually come and don't lose hope, which I find very meaningful. However, what do we know about Christmas trees? After about a month, they die off. If you have a real tree, even if you water it every single day, eventually your tree will die. It'll start to brown up, the needles will fall off, and it'll start to smell a little bit, the sap will start leaking out, and it becomes a huge mess. And what I find funny is we spend all this time decorating our trees, getting them all beautiful for the Christmas season, but after that, if you have a real one, many of you just take it out back and you burn it, <laughs> which I find really funny, just the picture of the, you know, how, they, how that goes. But when I think about a dead Christmas tree, what it reminds me of, while the living one reminds us of hope, what the dead Christmas tree reminds me of is our sin. As the pine needles start to fall off, as it starts to brown up, as it starts to smell a little bit, it creates a mess. What was once beautiful, what was once so decorated and lit up, actually becomes a burden, and it becomes a mess. And that reminds me a lot of, of our own sin. You know, during this Christmas season, I think we, we try so hard to make it a, a time that is of joy and celebration and hope, which it is. But it's also often the times where the sin in our families and the sin in our personal lives becomes magnified. Because when you bring everybody together, maybe there's some tension. Real things can come up. And oftentimes we blame our family dynamics, which can be true. But really what we need to look at is the root cause of why those family dynamics are off in the first place. And for many of us, it's that we're dishonest with each other. You know, Christmas time is often a very stressful time financially. And we can blame that. Or we can look at the root issue for many of us and say, well, I have a very unhealthy relationship with my money. You know, we talk about politics a lot and how that divides families and how I feel like every single family has that crazy uncle <laughs> with a wild belief about something when it comes to political beliefs. And we could talk about, well, politics is the real issue. But oftentimes the root issue of why politics because, becomes such a divisive topic is because we don't trust God. We fear what the other side is doing, and we don't trust God that he holds all things together, and so it causes us to get angry, causes us to get fearful, and then we argue back and forth. See, the point is this. The living Christmas tree can be a symbol of hope, but the dying Christmas tree can be a symbol of the mess that we create with our sin. And ironically enough, if we go to the book of Genesis and the creation story, the very first tree is actually how sin entered the world. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. 
Now that's Genesis 2. And Genesis 3 is when Eve gets deceived by Satan and her and Adam eat the fruit of the tree. And that's how sin enters the world. So while Christmas time is, we have a tree as a symbol of hope, the very first tree was the vehicle for how sin actually entered the world and it created the mess that we live in today. And so the big question that we have to ask ourselves is this, how do we clean up the mess? How do we deal with the sin that's not only in our personal lives as individuals, but the sin that's in our families? And here's what I'll say. If you're not a Christian, maybe you're here today and your, your grandma forced you to come to church, your mom forced you to come to church, I've been there. But maybe you're not a Christian today and you think that Christianity is just like every other religion. Here's what I would say to you. While it's true that we want to be good and moral people, we want to work hard to have better self-control, we care a lot about our morality. And in that, a lot of us fail. I mean, we're not perfect people. A lot of people say that they don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Yes, welcome. We're all hypocrites. <laughs> but here's where Christianity is different. We don't put the effort in for our own salvation. Here's what I mean. You cannot work for and earn your salvation. It's not about how much you pray. It's not about how much self-control you have. We want those things. Those are good things, but those aren't the way that we become saved. Here's how we become saved. It's on the final tree. See, while the tree in the Garden of Eden was the symbol of sin that brought sin into the world, it's the final tree in the cross that brings us life and salvation. You know, oftentimes when we see a cross in a picture or a mural of Jesus on the cross, we see it all neatly cut and neatly sanded and it looks so pristine. But the cross that Jesus carried was a chopped down tree that possibly even still had bark in it. And so while Jesus is hanging from the tree, he's probably, in a, obviously it's uncomfortable to begin with and it's suffering to begin with, but he's hanging on this tree with bark scratching his back, but he's atoning for our sins. And in that moment, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, which, which says, He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. So here's my point. Every single one of us, not only as individuals but as families, there's sin in our families. There's sin in us as individuals, and that creates a mess, just like a dying Christmas tree creates a mess in our home. But how we deal with that is not just by working harder, it's by placing our hope and our trust in Jesus, that he is our savior, he is our Messiah, he is the one who died for us so that our sins could be forgiven. And so here's the picture that I want you to see this morning. As we look at our Christmas trees, as you go home and you see your own, but as you look at the ones on stage, what I want you to see is not just a tree, but what I want you to see is the cross. I want you to be reminded of the forgiveness that you have in the very final tree that Jesus was crucified on because it's in his crucifixion that we have life and hope and salvation. Now, to be honest, when I was writing this message, I was thinking, this sounds more like an Easter Sunday message. <laughs> but here's what I want you to know. The death and the resurrection and the whole salvation plan for humanity, it does not happen without Jesus Christ becoming the incarnate Son of God here on earth. 
It does not happen without him coming down from heaven and being born as a poor baby in this manger. And I love that picture. Jesus didn't come down as this royal king and expect everybody to bow down and worship him, and and he wore all these fancy robes, and he made sure he had a caravan to take him wherever he went. No, Jesus was born as a poor baby to a poor family in a small little town of Bethlehem. And we know the story, right? There wasn't even room in the inn for him. What does that mean? It means that Jesus did not come down just for the wealthy and the powerful. He came for every single one of us whose lives are full of sin and we're a mess. He came for the poor. He came for the broken. He came for those who are outcasted in society. He is the one that takes care of our sins. And so what I want us to hear today is that Christmas, while it's so easy to become about the gifts and it's so easy to become all about the traditions, which those are good things. I mean, I refuse to give my kids gifts because I don't want them to get confused. I'm kidding. I'm not a jerk. But those, these are good things. But we have to remember that we don't have Christmas without the real gift. And that's Jesus Christ himself. And so what I want you to hear today is the the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, is for to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That prophecy has been fulfilled. And that is the good news. And it's fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, when the angel says to Mary, you will give birth to a son, you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. The good news of Christmas this morning is that our Savior has come, the prophecy has been fulfilled. We now have an opportunity for salvation, and that's by putting our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ. He has been born. See, if Christmas is just a nice story, if it's just a legend, if it's just a myth that we kind of cling to, if it's just about the traditions or if it's just about the gifts, then let's be very, very honest with ourselves. Christmas is meaningless. It might be just another time for our families to gather and, and hopefully watch the Vikings win. Skull. Can't leave that out. However, if Christmas is real and it's true, it changes everything. The mess that you and I have made in our lives by our sin actually has a plan for hope and salvation and forgiveness. If Christmas is real, it means everything. And that's what I want us to be reminded of this morning. Our Savior is real, and our Savior came to forgive the people of our sins, to usher in the kingdom of God, and now we have a new way of life. We're going to sing a few songs here in just a moment, and then we have a powerful life story video of a young lady in our church who, f- who found Jesus, and she's going to share how she found Jesus. And it's beyond amazing, but I want to leave you with this quote. It's by J.I. Packer. He's an old pastor and theologian who passed away a few years ago, but he said this. He said, the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope for a pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. Let's cling to that hope. 
Our Savior is born. And let's praise him because the prophecy has been fulfilled. I grew up in a Christian home, so I always knew Jesus and we went to church. But I was a pretty shy kid, so I would cry a lot in Sunday school. So I don't really remember anything from Sunday school, but um, had a good family, really good family dynamic and support system, which I'm grateful for. But I never really knew Jesus, you know, personal until um, middle school and then deepened my relationship in high school after some rough patches. When I was 14, um, I walked away from my faith in Jesus because I was seeing a lot of fake Christianity on social media and just like from people in the church. Um, and that's, I just thought, I don't want to be associated with that, I guess. When I walked from Jesus, I turned to other beliefs, um, including like belief in a higher, higher power. And um, in believing those things, I thought I was free to do whatever I wanted, but I was really just in bondage to that sin. And so I turned to like the party scene and started like, witchcrafty things. I read about like Hinduism and Buddhism and those spiritual beliefs where you had to reach enlightenment. And then I would try to reach enlightenment when really I was just seeking the fulfillment Christ gives. And it's free. It's not like I have to work or do anything. But with the Buddhism and Hinduism and stuff, it was like I have to work my way up and do all this and do all this. With the witchcraft, I would pray to like spirit guides, they were called. It was just, honest, it was just demons, but I would like talk to them as if I was talking to God. And I would like write out spells and stuff and make like jars and get a lot of crystals and stuff and trying to find like, trying to feel loved, trying to find peace. And I remember thinking like, What's my purpose? Like, what is the purpose of life? You know, I don't feel anything. Like, I feel empty. And um, since I had previously been, had a relationship with Jesus, there was like a foundation. And so I was like, okay, I'll just try turning back. Like, I'll just see. And then I um, opened the word, started praying again. And it was like the overflow in your heart like the Holy Spirit just like came down and it was like tears of joy. And I was just like, this is what I've been seeking. Um, since walking with Jesus, um, I've learned that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, as he says, and that there is no fulfillment in anything else other than Jesus that we're seeking. He has just showed me how important community is and how we're made for com community and just to confide in other people when I'm like struggling having these thoughts because there's so many lies that come into our mind and just to have that community of people just to say yo that's a lie um, I feel like God has really opened my eyes to the fact that spiritual warfare is so real and the spiritual realm is real and we have an enemy and he wants to take us out <laughs> And what I would want to tell someone that's been where I've been is that it's never too late 
to turn back to Jesus and, well, just to give him a chance because he makes you feel alive and he makes life so sweet. <laughs> Emily was baptized this summer, and to hear her testimony live in person, it was like hearing a pin drop. It was amazing, and a powerful testimony of God's power and what he's done in Emily's life. You know, uh, a few months ago, I was reading a book on leadership. Um, as I became the pastor of leadership development here, I started to read more books on leadership development and how do you train a team. And one of the books that I was reading had this topic in it called How to Have Crucial Conversations. Now, every single one of us, I think, as passive-aggressive Minnesotans, <laughs> we tend to not like to have these crucial conversations. What it means is when you have tension between you and somebody else, rather than just letting it go and just trying to avoid it and it makes it worse, you have to have a moment where you actually have to sit down and maybe it's just a 10-minute conversation, but it's really, really hard and it's awkward. And we hate that as people. We hate tension. But as I was reading this book, I thought, this is really good wisdom, but it's also not just good for business and leadership. This is like spiritual direction type stuff because it made me think of when I was 17 years old and I became a Christian, what I had to do was I had to have a crucial conversation with Jesus. I had to come clean with all the sins that I had committed and the frustration that I had, be, I had been dealing with as a teenager. You know, I grew up in a, in a Christian home. I knew about Jesus. I could have told you what the gospel was and what it meant, but I didn't believe in it and I didn't live it. And my life was an absolute mess. And I knew, because I knew who Jesus was, because I knew what the gospel was and all that, knew what the Bible said, I understood, even before I became a Christian, that I had sin in my life that God was not happy about. And for so long, I tried to, I tried to avoid that because I didn't want to have to deal with that with God because I don't like tension at all. And yet it was at that moment where I realized that if I have this crucial conversation with Jesus, that I can let go of the sins that I've been committing and the sins that have been taking control of my life, and I wouldn't receive judgment, I wouldn't receive hate from God, I wouldn't receive condemnation, but I would actually receive grace. And I bring that up this morning because over the past month, and this morning really, we've been talking about the mess that's created because of our sin. And because it's Christmas, I want to give you that opportunity to come into a relationship with the incarnate son, with Jesus. He's not the God who's far away and who's sitting up in, you know, on heaven, in heaven on a throne and he's got a big white beard. He's judging all of humanity and he's so angry with us. If that was who God was, he wouldn't send Jesus to come down and be with his people. What I want you to hear is God loves you despite your sins. God's passionate about you despite all of the mistakes that you've made, all of the mess that your sins have created. He loves you, and he shows us that by sending Jesus to come and live with us and to die and resurrect for our freedom. If you're ready to clean up your mess today, and not by your own effort, but by putting your hope and your faith in Jesus, then here's what I want you to do. In just a moment, we're going to say a prayer and the prayer isn't magical words or anything like that. If you just say them, it doesn't mean, bam, all of a sudden you're in heaven. But it's your heart that's behind them. If you're ready today to make the decision to follow Jesus and you mean what you pray, you will be saved. 
You'll be free from the wrath of God. You'll be free from hell, and you will be in heaven for eternity with Jesus. But not only that, you will experience that freedom from your sin today. When I prayed when I was 17, I gave my life to Jesus. It was an immediate weight lifted off my shoulders. Because sin isn't just actions that we do that are wrong. It becomes a weight that burdens us and creates a mess in our lives. But when you find forgiveness and when you find freedom, it is a weight lifted off your spirit. It's a weight lifted off your soul. And if you need that this morning, I want you to pray with me. So let's everybody bow your heads. And if you want to pray to make that decision today, just repeat after me. Father, I admit that I am a sinner. I admit that I have made many mistakes that I deserve punishment for. But Father, I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins and be a sacrifice for them. I believe that he resurrected from the dead three days later to defeat sin and hell and death. God, I admit that I will not be perfect the rest of my life. but I am making the decision to follow you today because you are the only one that can forgive me. So Jesus, I promise to follow you and to love you and to love the world and the people that you've created. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today in your life, or maybe you're rededicating your life to Jesus. Here's what I want you to do as a next step. I know that you got family get-togethers to get to, and so I'm not going to keep you. If you want to stay after and talk to me or talk to Wendy or any one of us pastors about the decision you made, if you have any questions, you can definitely do that. But I know you got places to be. And so here's what I want you to do as a next step. On your bulletin that you got when you came in, on the back side of it, there's a note section with a QR code. You can take out your phone, scan that code. It'll take you to our website where you can fill out your name and a contact. That way we can get in contact with you later on. We want to make sure you have a Bible. If you, need, if you have any questions about how do you pray or when should I come to church or anything about Christianity and following Jesus, we want to be able to help you and resource you to be able to do that and set you up well. So make sure you do that if you pray the prayer for that first time today. If you'd like to just talk in person, I'll be right in the lobby after service. But welcome to God's kingdom for those of you who prayed that prayer today. God loves you. He gives you a life purpose, and you will be with him, not just now, but for eternity. And that's an amazing thing.